The Bill Simmons Show is brought to you by Stamps.com. Mark Marin is brought to you by Hotels Tonight. Serial? Squarespace. We are not any of those podcasts. UpZones is brought to you by Horizon Books. That's right, Horizon Books, serving Seattle's book-loving community for 48 years with one of the best collections of used books in the region. Check out Horizon Books today and mention UpZones at the register for a 10% discount now through the end of the year. Our sponsor is Horizon Books, and this is UpZones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. It's election week. Let's go. I'm not going to bore you with a long monologue this week. Uh, we have Carrie Moon. She is one of the coolest humans going in the city of Seattle. Really enjoyed speaking with her. I'm not going to really do much other than say, please vote. Please vote. And listen to Carrie Moon. You grew up in the Midwest? Mostly. Mostly? Yeah. Indiana, right? No. I li- you, weren't you born in Indiana? No. I don't understand where that... I think that's on like Wikipedia or something. Are you kidding me? I don't know who You're... made that up. Well, maybe someone wanted I to... I lived there for like six months when I was in my 20s, but I never would... That's funny. So... I'm from... I was born in Pennsylvania, lived yeah. around the East Coast. My family moved a lot, but mostly grew up in Michigan. Michigan. Second grade on What's that Michigan. like? Mich- I've, ne- I've never even been to Michigan. It's um, it's beautiful. It's like rolling hills and and farmland and lots of rivers and creeks and lakes. So it's pretty. Yeah, and then Lake Michigan is monstrous. Like you can't see across it. It's so big. Uh-huh. Is it the biggest one? No, Superior is probably Superior is the biggest. But yeah, for the ones that people see, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the right, biggest. Right. No one goes up to Lake Superior. That's awesome. And basically, your whole childhood, kind of Midwestern. You know, were you involved? Did you have any public? advocacy or i mean you were a kid but did your family get involved with that kind of stuff or is that you know, not, later? not so much i mean we got involved in um racial equity issues and civil rights stuff in our town because mm-hmm. our the school i went to was about half black and half white kids mm-hmm. and my parents were super involved in helping like helping the town become a more fair and inclusive place yeah so i got involved through my parents on on specific things but really my first moment of advocacy was at college at University of Michigan. George Bush won, came to speak at our school to celebrate the 20-year anniversary of the Peace Corps. And a bunch of protesters, including me, shouted him down and he never was able to speak. And it felt really powerful to just continue to boo him and continue to not to show him he wasn't welcome. That's interesting. And what would you say? I mean, there's a lot of conversation right now about whether that's the right yeah. path forward, right? I mean, I it almost sounds like I'm taking a position, but I'm really not. I just, you hear a lot of folks say that that is, that's sort of like uh, preventing discourse. You know, do, do you have a position on that? Whether, should, sh- is there a line at which discourse should be discouraged? 
right? Or and encouraged? I mean, do you have any governing philosophy about that? You know, I think in the at that moment it was very unusual to do that. But yeah. I th- I think it was really important for him to understand like you can't be a warmonger yeah. and then take credit for the Peace Corps at the uh-huh. same time. Like uh-huh. we just wanted to make that point. Like right. those are not the same thing. And this was uh, what, about maybe nineteen eighty three. Oh, so he was. Yeah, he not wasn't even president. president yet. He was yet. vice president. Oh wow, I, I actually had you in a whole different decade in college. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it probably speaks well of your uh, how well you've aged. I guess I don't know, <laughs> but the the uh, I see. Yeah, because he was head of the CIA and doing all kinds mm-hmm. of despicable shit at mm-hmm. that time. Exactly. Yeah, got you, got you, right on. And when you moved here, you actually were not um, necessarily. Uh, engaged uh, in that civic. You were uh, initially, you were like a business, you ran a, um, a business, right? Yeah. Initially, when I first moved here in 87, I worked in Redmond at a microelectronics manufacturing company. So mm-hmm. I was an engineer designing production processes and information systems to control the production processes. Okay. You were like so. a Six Sigma. <laughs> Uh, no, there's this What's like that? it's this that like reference. business term. One of my other guests, actually, uh, who's a playwright by night and has done very well, but he was telling me he's writing a book for his day job about Six Sigma. It's this, uh, it, it's a science of making a process more efficient. Perfect. Yeah, that sounds, so it sounds like, like that's what you did. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cool. And then yeah. So then what? What kind of? I mean, I know you were doing that for a while, and then at some point you kind of crossed over, and it was the aqueduct, right? That really got you involved. Yeah, the viaduct. Excuse me. I wish it was an aqueduct. That was just a mis. I haven't said the word aqueduct in a decade. I don't know where that came from. Yes, I was. uh, I had gone to graduate school in urban planning, landscape architecture, urban design, and in the city, I was doing planning projects and was on the design commission, which advises the city on all public works projects. Mm -hmm. And this was when Paul Schell was the mayor and we were building a lot of stuff. We were building parks and city hall and the new library. So there's all this really cool civic building going on. And when the earthquake happened, the state highway department came to the city and said, we're going to be building a bigger highway elevated highway on the downtown waterfront which earthquake uh, 2001 so this this was not like no there wasn't any mass devastation it was just like a it was damaged mm. and it should have been the recommendation was it be torn down immediately but there was also a possibility of repairing it temporarily until we decided what to do mm. so they took that path of course yeah. and intended to build a bigger highway and that's when i got involved with a bunch of other advocates saying this is our most valuable civic space. The city owns the land, the 22 acres that the viaduct stands on. Why are we not reclaiming this for mm-hmm. public life for our mm-hmm. city? Because we're growing more dense, more people living downtown in apartments. That means we need more civic space, more public space for people to be outside. Yeah. And, you know, this is our most valuable land. It's on the waterfront. We have this opportunity to reclaim our connection to the water and, right. you know, experience what it means to be a city on the water mm-hmm. instead of a city cut off from the water. And yeah, that's an interesting point. I guess I had never really thought about that. That there's a pretty significant cultural economics of having that distance from the water. Yeah. Right? You got to walk all the way up to I I've lived down in Belt I don't anymore but for a long time I lived in Belltown. And uh you got to walk all the way up through the sculpture park and get to get I guess that's the the trail up there. Yeah. It's the first time you can really access Be on the, the water. water. Yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah. Interesting. So that's that's a really uh, powerful way to think about it. Yeah. So we started the advocacy organization around the vision of look what we could collectively have. Mm-hmm. We, all of us in terms of shared public space on the water 
you know, touch the water, have a launch for kayaks mm-hmm, and a mm-hmm. place to, you know, different ways to experience being on the water. And we could invest in transit and improving the street grid in order to bring people to the city and help people move around in a more sustainable way rather than invest billions in a highway that would bypass our city. Like what city wants to invest in a highway that bypasses it? You want people to come to your city. And that's our number one priority is how do we improve access and mobility to and within the city. And so we put together the transportation solution, the public parks, you know, what to do about the economic development around the edges, the kind of how to improve the shore ecology and the intertidal habitat, because that's a big issue for issue salmon for and, yep. you know, the health of Puget Sound is you have to restore intertidal ecology. So we put together this sort of multi-layered plant, which is, P.S., what planners do, right? and said this, is, this would be a better solution for our city than letting WashDOT dictate that we build a new highway. And just build a new, bigger highway that doesn't change anything else right. about the status quo. And if I remember correctly, although it was not adopted, but it was like... Um, they they sort of didn't go with the worst option and they kind yeah. of incorporated some of your guidance, right? Is that, yeah, is that right? I mean, there was that public vote in 2007 where both highway options got rejected. Mm-hmm. And so then we did another big push, like, let's do this instead. And, you know, there were a lot of politics around it, yeah. but the transportation officials all agreed that our solution was the best. Mm-hmm. But the politics didn't go that way because there's a lot of forces that want to build highways. Right. And so the politics went towards the deep board tunnel plus improvements on the surface which is great and the surface improvements are great i'm still irritated about the tunnel yeah well i'd love to ask you about that actually we just sort of dived right into the issue but that's that's fine um for listeners certainly for me too what exactly did the city do what is the state and where are we headed with respect to the viaduct so the viaduct is coming down in in january Mm -hmm. of 2019 and the city has been actively working on building a vision, a plan, fundraising in order to build a great civic park on the waterfront, which to me is wonderful. The city's doing the right thing. The The first part of it's done in terms of the market expansion. And was that the tunnel? Oh, was that the, the Bertha? Is that what that was? Because those two th- issues seem intertwined to me in some way. Well, the city, the state wants you to believe they're intertwined. We could have built 22 acres of civic space on the waterfront without doing the bypass highway. Okay. So they're, to me, they're still separate issues. The, the city, though, is doing this good work to expand the market, des- design the new waterfront. They're building the new Pier 62 right now. The seawall part's done. Mm-hmm. So the city's waterfront project is about a third of the way finished, and it will go into high gear and... Can, and be built in completion after the viaduct is torn down. So from 2019 for the next couple of years, the city will be actively building a great civic space on the waterfront, finishing it. Mm-hmm. And then the state is doing this board tunnel, Bertha is so, called. I see. So they're related in the yeah. sense that they, I mean, there's just literally a physical proximity, but they're two entirely separate projects. Yeah. And will there be any like housing or commerce <coughs> built or any any kind of you know, sort of what I'll call upward use of the space? I think, no, because um, back in the time when we were discussing what to do with the waterfront, the city council at the time felt very strongly that all public land should stay in public use, which Mm -hmm. this will relate to the Mercer project when we start talking about that. But it was very clear to everybody that do not sell off public land for private development. There's plenty of land 
already allocated for private development. And what we need more than anything downtown is civic life, public space, you know, connection to the water. But not even maybe like affordable housing or... Um, there housing. is affordable housing in the market front project. So oh, the, there is. the okay. Pike Place Market already has built affordable housing. But the idea was that, you know, there's basically it's all built out. The whole perimeter is already all built out. And what we need more than anything is public space. Just the space. Yeah. It makes sense. So I, I do, you know, and that kind of catapulted you into, you, you know, you became a part of the civic life of the city. And I know you won the Genius Award yeah. at one point. And I, I'm just curious. I don't meet too many people in my daily life who've run for mayor, especially not. Actually, I guess I know Nikita too, but uh, yeah. n- not many who've gotten as many votes as you have. That's for sure. And so, what was that like? And I'm sure you've been asked that a lot. I- I'll focus the question and say, what is the thing that you know after having done it that you just had no idea about before? Yeah, I kind of knew most of it before. Let me let me talk through this and see if what I can discover. But I know that there are tremendous. There's a tremendous love for this city, and people care deeply yeah. about our shared future. They care about one another. They care about our city being representative of our values in terms of like equity and creativity and inclusion and right. watching out for one another and connection to nature. People really care about those things. And running for mayor, I wanted to see if, if you can assemble that love into enough force to win. Right. And... And it felt really important to me to have a constructive vision about what the city could be and an inclusive process for kind of refining and shaping that vision and a commitment to listening and a commitment to sharing power across race and class and gender. And so there are all these um, values about what a city should be and how our city could be and how we should tackle the problems we're facing that I really wanted to um, have dialogue about with everybody through the campaign. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that we got 45% of the vote with that strategy because I was very specifically trying to set aside politics the way the newspapers like politics to be played, which is, you know, horse race and power struggle between two, you know, dinosaurs and, you know, who's going to win and who's up and who's down. Like that is not the discussion we should be having. We should be having a discussion about what are our values? Who are we? How do we solve our problems together? Right. And what are the proposals that yeah. uh, the candidates have to solve those problems? Yeah. 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 And so I'm really um, proud of, you know, how the candidates, especially Nikita, but the some of the other candidates too, really, we did have a good dialogue about what is the future of our city. Mm-hmm. And I wish, I wish Nikita or I had won. You know, yeah. it, it was... Because I think there are enough people in the city who are frustrated at, you know, sort of the corporate takeover of politics and how, you know, we're not really talking about the public interest and we're not really being bold about creating a city where everybody's welcome and inclusive. I mean, and included and can be part of this. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. You just said the corporate takeover of politics. Couldn't agree more. So this question comes from a space of... Couldn't agree more, right? Okay. I think a lot of Seattle, the change in Seattle, right, is driven by corporate, by 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 big business, mm-hmm. um, and and I that's a neutral statement. Amazon grew mm-hmm. and hired a lot of people. Microsoft made a comeback and hired a lot of people. Even T-Mobile, which is the listeners know, that's my day job. I work at T-Mobile Corporation, right? T-Mobile had a boom, right? They grew 
from kind of nothing went to a very big carrier, hired a lot of people, right? And I guess the question I would put to you is when folks who have progressive values, but maybe are, you know, an Amazon employee mm-hmm. or a Microsoft employee or a T-Mobile employee, and I don't think I necessarily wrestle with this as much as some, but I wrestle with this. How do you enter a space dedicated to achieving justice without feeling like, well, gosh, like, are they saying that I'm the problem in the city? And maybe I am, you know, how would you talk to someone like that and kind of get them on board with what you're trying to do? And what I know Nikita is yeah. trying to do and what, yes. you know, even like Jessen was trying to do. And what's your solution to kind of bridging that gap? I think, um, that's a really good question because the boundaries are purposely blurred to mm. confuse us. I think every citizen, every resident, whether you're, you have documents or not, cares about our city thriving. Agreed. And there are corporate lobbyists who are working probably counter to your values mm-hmm. that your corporation is funding and you don't know what they're doing. And I think that we all need to start op- opening opening that door and seeing what's behind what the lobbyists are doing because there's a lot of great people who work at Amazon, who oh, work yeah. at Microsoft, I've interviewed Google. some right here. Yeah. They're great. And I'm welcome to our city and I can't wait to meet you. And, you know, yeah. let's, yeah. let's figure out how to do this together. But what the corporations are doing in order to protect their capacity to, you know, extract and hoard money is not, I don't think anything that we would all want to be yeah. happening. And so mm-hmm. I think we need to sort of, we need to ask for transparency about what our lobbyists are doing. Mm. And we also need, we need city government to shift their accountability to how are we building a city that's helping small and local business? How are we providing access to entrepreneurship for people from this Rainier beach high school? You know, there's a thousand things we could be doing to help the residents of our city be part of this prosperity that Mm -hmm. we're not doing. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So what'd you learn? (laughs) (laughs) so i learned that politics is really dirty like like tell me more about the word dirty um one of the main lobbyists who works for both the big corporations and lots of the political folks Mm. came to my campaign team when i first announced and said we will do anything it takes to block her from winning there is no way she's going to win because she's not one of our people they said it right out loud and they followed through on it. You know, they raised a lot of money, you know, a million dollars and lots of, you know, pack money mm-hmm. to block me. Yeah. And, but they knew from the beginning that I was a threat to their cozy relationship between corporations and political leaders. Right. And okay, that happened. And I was like, okay, we're going to keep going. Like, of course. Yeah. You know, gotta, what are you going to do? Try, right? gotta try. Sometimes you but win. But that, that kind of like specific, like without even talking to me about, you know, what's the possibility for common ground? Sure. Nope. We yeah. just knew from the beginning, no way. Yeah, and we see a lot of that. I mean, you see a lot of that, actually, in my opinion, from all vested interests. Mm-hmm. But the ones with power, then it becomes... I mean, advocacy groups occasionally who represent the disenfranchised may uh, potentially do that tactic, where they shut potential allies out. But the problem is they don't have any power. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just a bad tactic if they're doing it. Whereas if a group with power is doing it, it's actually harming the city. Um, that's too bad. So that's actually kind of a sad, uh, I, I feel a little sad that your experience, you know, this life changing, I'm assuming experience and the main takeaway you had was sort of a negative. Uh, well, no, that wasn't the main takeaway. The main takeaway was the tremendous amount of love and creativity mm. 
and passion for this city. And mm -hmm. people want real solutions. They want to be included. Okay. They want to have dialogue about a better future together. I mean, there is so much goodness in this city. And I couldn't agree more. You know, what if I'm we'd done this. a better job, like tapping that? What if, yeah. What did we? What if we'd really been able to corral all that energy towards, you know, a vision and a set of solutions? Yeah. So that does lead me to the next question that I kind of my mind goes to. We have an election coming up. I don't think there's really much in terms of voting for the city council or mayor. We do that in odd years, but we have a number of initiatives coming mm -hmm. up. I'm wondering if you are taking any positions on any of those and if you've been involved in any of those. And then beyond the election, I'm actually curious what you've been working on and what my listeners can do to kind of get engaged. So absolutely, I'm supportive of some of the initiatives. 1631, yeah. the carbon tax, absolutely. essential. 940, you know, the one that helps it, make it makes it easier to prosecute cops when they kill yeah. somebody and creates training and creates opportunity right? for them not to get in that situation in the first place exactly yeah. and provide first aid yeah you know yeah. it's good on for all the fronts it's it's pursuing and the gun um common sense gun reform yep. definitely supportive of that yeah, there's so, a real opportunity to like make a difference this year yep even here yep so yeah. definitely if you haven't voted yet vote it's important even if you're meh about your Elected officials, those three things are worth voting for. Yeah, they're huge. And then, yeah. And then I know that you've been working on some local issues as well, the, um, the mega block uh, on yes. Mercer. I, and and I, my understanding of that is, you know, just someone who follows it, I think it's an opportunity for the city, again, to rather than just sell land off to the highest bidder, actually allow for affordable housing, uh, what I've heard called workforce housing, mm -hmm. so that the folks who maybe make the the coffee for the Amazon workers mm -hmm. can actually afford to live near where they're exactly, doing that. Exactly, exactly. Um, what can you tell us about what's going on there? So the city owns about three acres, which is actually a huge parcel of land. Yeah, right in downtown. Right in downtown. And South Lake Union, as everybody knows, is one of the neighborhoods that is increasingly unaffordable. And yeah. most of the new housing that's been built there is luxury rentals. And so all the people who make the burgers, the lab technicians, the security guards, you know, the janitors, all the people who are part of making South Lake Union work have these long commutes, you know, right. to distant suburbs. And it, why don't they get to, why don't they deserve to uh, live in the neighborhood they work in? Yeah, I think we, every neighborhood should have a range of housing options. So right. folks at all income levels who make a community happen can afford to be, to live there. Right. And so the city is instead selling off this land to the highest bidder and it's a very odd situation i think that we all need to be asking the city why when you own public land and there's such a clear and obvious public need you know we have this homelessness crisis we have a housing affordability crisis and you have this magical thing three acres of land why are we not using that land for the highest public benefit right. which is affordable housing and i think you know at this point there's a lot of groups who are pushing for this, you know, the Transit Writers Union, the Urbanist, Sierra Club, 350 Seattle, Share and Wheel and Real Change. And I mean, there's um, more. Yeah, the more. Seattle there, Tech for yeah. Housing. Yep. There's all these organizations who are about good cities yep. saying, why aren't we building affordable housing yeah. here? And so we're pushing on the city. They, they did not re pull back the RFP as we asked them to. 
But so now we're pushing on them. We want you to maximize the amount of affordable housing that will be built on site. Do so, not just sell this off to the high So that's interesting. So even though the city council pulled, or excuse me, uh, passed a law, this would have been a few weeks ago, that mm-hmm. allowed them to actually sell below. Zero. They can they, give they can land give away, away for free for yeah. affordable housing. And that, but the executive branch, I'll call it. Uh, so this would come from the mayor's. I, I'm, I'm talking through this for, you know, so that yeah. everyone kind of understands. The mayor's office made the, makes that decision, right, as to whether to issue the RFP for a for-profit or does the, is there any recourse on the council or is this just a done deal at this point? The council can reject the proposal mm, okay. and the council also is part of the selection process. So there's all these proposals out now that are being reviewed. And the council can push for the winning proposal to be the one that has the most affordable housing built on site. I see. If they want to. Or they can say, none of these are good enough. We reject this. So you get like a bellwether or something. Right. For example. Right. And they could come in and then at least, so it's still a market trend or it's still a transaction for money, but at least it's kind of the end result is a a commitment to an affordable affordable housing. Right. And as I understand it, the bidders are are encouraged to make multiple proposals. So they could make one proposal where they're bidding a higher amount of money and lower amount of affordable housing or one worth a higher amount of affordable housing, but a lower amount of money. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of possibilities for what could happen at this point. Sorry, my phone's blowing up. (laughs) It must be, it must be dedicated listeners. (laughs) It's probably my wife. Um, that's that's great. And so what are the next steps? Like what can uh, Jane Listener do to kind of make sure that that, you know, push up against that that boulder a little yeah. bit? I think um, speaking up, um, demanding transparency, because the plan right now is all this happens secretly behind closed doors with no transparency and no ability to watch what they're doing. So the proposals are not made public. Mm-mm. Wow. Okay. That's very right. And it's public land. We own the land as a, as a population. Yeah, right. So we should be able to see what the proposals are. We should have a big public dialogue about what's the right thing to do. Agreed. And if there's proprietary information, they can always, you know, right. redact it, if you will, or, or, or black right, that out. Right. I mean, that's not so hard to do. Yeah. Right. And we should all push for the maximum amount of affordable housing at whatever level is appropriate. But affordable housing on this site because this is we, we need this affordable is the housing in every we have. right yeah exactly. it's a golden opportunity okay and are there specific channels that people can plug into to to do so i think push on city council and mm-hmm. um yeah push on city council that's council the best member. right yeah. that's the best way to do it okay well great you know i really appreciate you coming on just talking about stuff chopping it up a little yeah. bit yeah and I, I just also want to add like we we have this affordable housing crisis and there yeah. are a lot of things we should be doing that we're not and the city has this sort of passive attitude about just letting our housing prices continue to rise and letting gentrification happen and you know acting like they don't have power the city does have power there's a lot of things we could be doing we could be lobbying for more money in the housing trust fund we could be putting in a disincentive on corporate ownership of housing or non-resident ownership of housing. That means uh, organizations coming in and just buying up housing because housing is a great way to make money in our city. And that's taking housing out of... Speculation. uh, Yes, basically taxes on speculation. We could be building, putting a lot more of our tax revenues towards nonprofit affordable housing. We could be supporting co-ops 
We could be putting money into community land trusts. Mm -hmm. There's all these solutions that... We could lift some of the zoning laws as well. I mean, exactly. Hence the name. That's where I originally got the name. Is, yeah. You know, we, it's it, one of the things that I discuss, a, a lot of my guests come on and we talk about is lifting a zoning law above single family doesn't force you single family homeowner to build anything on right. their land it just allows jim down the block to throw uh, you know maybe a, a mother-in-law or something exactly yeah we could be adding so much more low-income yeah. affordable housing yeah. by just empowering homeowners to you know have a duplex yeah. or a triplex yeah yeah right back your cottage it, yeah. it, it hopefully we can get there just by kind of continuing to push the, the boulder up the hill you know yep. Yeah. Yep. So we end every show with a segment we call If You Care About, You Should. Fill in the blanks. Let's see. If you care about this city, you know, staying creative and inclusive and young, you should push on your city council member to fund more affordable housing. Awesome. No surprise, but a really important one. Yeah. Carrie Moon, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. That was Carrie Moon. You know her from almost being mayor, I guess. But, uh, you know, she's really dedicated to the Mercer Mega Block, turning that into an affordable housing solution for the city. Gosh, I hope that we get it done. Call your city council member. You heard her. Email your city council member. Write to your city council member. Thank them for looking into it and make affordable uh, housing part of the solution. All music by the subcons. Dope opening poetry sample by Anthony McPherson. My favorite. And I'm your host, Ian Martinez, and we'll see you next week.